Morning, St. James, uh, and visitors. Um, two readings today. I'd say for anybody for whom this isn't your normal Sunday morning routine, um, that at this point in the service, or around about this point, there are usually two readings from the Bible, and then whoever's preaching, in this case Amy, will pick up on the themes of one or both of them in the sermon that follows. So the two readings are, firstly, a, a very short passage from the book of Acts. If you've got a copy of the Church Bible with you, uh, you'll find this on page 1107. That's 1107. Um, I should give a tiny bit of context because otherwise the first sentence won't make a huge amount of sense. Um, At this point in the story of the early church, um, the early Christians are beginning to establish churches um, in the area of of the Eastern Mediterranean, and um, two of the key figures in, in that development, Barnabas and Saul, Saul, who is about to be called Paul, but is still Saul at this point, um, are in the process of taking support to help the church in Jerusalem with famine um, from the church in Antioch to Jerusalem, and then they go back to Antioch where we get this. This is Acts chapter 12, starting at verse 25 and running through to chapter 13, verse 3. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The second reading is somewhat longer. This is from Luke's Gospel, and this picks up the narrative of Luke's Gospel at almost the end. Um, Jesus has been crucified. Three days have passed. Um, His disciples are baffled and bewildered. And two of the wider group of disciples are walking along the road to a place called Emmaus, when they meet with a mysterious stranger. This is Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13 and running through to the end of the chapter, which is verse 35. Again, if you've got a church Bible, this is on page 1061, 1061. So, Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13. Now, on that same day... Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? 
They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table, with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. true or false quiz all right so here's my first question St George was English true or false false you're right yes so um, he was born in Cappadocia which is what is now modern-day Turkey probably never came to England in his life Uh, (laughs) St George fought in the Crusades true or false 
False, thank you. That's right. He was probably a soldier um, in the Roman army um, in the very early centuries, long before the Crusades ever happened. So he probably died uh, about 303 AD, uh, we imagine. Next one. St. George fought a dragon. <laughs> true or false? <laughs> Definitely true. <laughs> fo- I'm so sorry. It's, it's false. So um, the, the pictures of um, St. George fighting a dragon only um, started happening several hundred years um, after he died. It's possible that in representing him fighting a dragon, they were attempting to show the fight of good against evil, in which case there's probably a bit of truth in it. Um, but in terms of the actual myth of you know, rescuing a princess or whatever it was he did, um, I'm afraid that didn't happen. And finally, St. George was martyred for his faith. Is that true or false? And that one is true, that's right. So um, he worked for Emperor Diocletian, poor guy, um, because uh, that emperor decided that he was going to get rid of all the um, soldiers in his army who um, wouldn't um, follow pagan gods, who were Christians, and um, St. George refused and was apparently beheaded. Um, So there you are. Uh, Well done. You did very well in that quiz. Excellent. (laughs) So we don't know very much about the real St. George, um, apart from roughly uh, when and where he lived and the fact that he was a soldier. But we do know that he gave his life for his faith. And so he's come to be this great emblem of faithfulness and courage. Um, We see that in St. George's Cross, of course, um, today. So I think it's actually quite appropriate that Freya is getting baptised on St. George's Day. And of course, we hope very much that she won't um, (laughs) come to the same end, shall we say. (laughs) We hope that she won't pay such a high price uh, for faith in the way that St. George did and many others have done over the centuries and still do today in many parts of the world. Um, But St. George's example is a reminder that following Christ is a really high calling and it's not always that easy to do. And so Freya will need the support of her family and friends and godparents um, as she grows in the Christian life. But it reminds us also that where we live a life of integrity and faithfulness, um, then that's a life that is of great worth and it can be really inspirational to other people as well. So how will Freya uh, grow up to live a life of worth and integrity? How will she, how will we all live lives of worth and integrity in today's world? Because it's not easy to navigate life, is it? We're always faced with decisions to make about small things and about really important things. We have to weigh things up as we live. We have to find a path of integrity, sometimes in the midst of very conflicting pressures and circumstances. And perhaps at this very time, you might be weighing up a decision that you have to make and wondering what's best for you. 
And I know that one of the reasons Alex and Emily have brought Freya for baptism today is that they want her to have a good foundation for life amid everything that life throws at us. And that's a really valuable thing to desire. It's a good basis from which we can make all those decisions that life throws our way. And there's a name that uh, Christianity gives to the practice of seeking what God is calling us to in the midst of all the decisions that we face. And the name for that practice is called discernment. And Christians have been practicing discernment from the very, very earliest days of the church. So we heard, didn't we, in that reading from Acts that Phil uh, read to start with, um, how the early church in Antioch heard the Holy Spirit say to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. And uh, having heard that, then the people in the church felt called to send Barnabas and Saul out uh, onto a mission to tell other people about the truth of Jesus. And even today in this church and in our sister church of the Vine down the road, um, we are starting a process of discernment uh, to consider what forms of ministry we feel called to pursue here. We want to know how God is calling us and as we consider setting up teams uh, to form ministry. So the practice of discernment is important for us as individuals, it's important for us as churches, and perhaps in other groups as well. Perhaps you run a business and you want to know how to run your business well. Perhaps you want to know how to make good decisions as a family. How is God drawing us in the midst of all the decisions that we face? How are we called to live faithful lives? And this is a really big issue, but I want to start today to offer some little ways into thinking about discernment, how we can live faithfully. And I want to do this by looking at the reading that we had from Luke's Gospel. This is the season of Easter in the church. So two weeks ago, churches here and all over the world uh, celebrated the fact that Jesus rose from the dead following his crucifixion. Incredible, impossible as it is to believe, it's clear that the early followers of Christ were so convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead um, that they staked their entire lives upon it, just like St. George did. They were really convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead. And that's because of people like these two disciples who told the testimony of how Jesus had appeared to them after his death and how he was alive and they recognized him and could see that it was true. So in this story, the two disciples have left Jerusalem after Jesus' death. They're bitterly disappointed because they had so, such high expectations of Jesus and of what he might do for them. And so they're confused, they don't know what to do, they don't know what to believe. Um, they're walking along the road to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles away. Perhaps it's the village they came from, uh, and they're just returning to it because they don't know what else to do with their lives. 
And as they walk, a stranger comes up alongside them. And they share with him everything they're feeling. And he shares with them. He talks to them about new truths in the scriptures that they hadn't noticed before. And then they invite him in to eat with them. And it's only then when the stranger takes bread, breaks it, gives thanks and shares it with them that they recognize him. Luke says their eyes were opened. They realized that this person who'd been with them on their journey was actually Jesus. He was living. And then with hindsight, they could look back on this journey they'd been on and notice the effect that his presence had on them. Luke says, they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us and opened the scriptures to us? And so having traveled all this way, seven miles to Emmaus, they immediately get up and rush back to Jerusalem, even though it's presumably dark by this point, to tell everyone what has happened. They've received new purpose and direction where before they were disappointed and confused and didn't know what to do. So I wonder what principles we might draw from this story for us as individuals and as a church as we seek to be discerning. The first one I want to suggest is Jesus is real and he walks alongside us. And actually, I think this is probably the biggest one for us to get our heads around when we seek to live faithful and discerning lives. Often we can feel so alone when we've got a decision to make, when we're feeling unsure about whether we're doing the right thing. But however alone you feel, Jesus is real and he is walking alongside you. I was quite moved um, this week to read in the news a story about um, a man called David Norman who had a heart attack and crashed his car. And uh, there was a lady who happened to be there called Pippa Rouse. She happened to be passing. She dragged him out of the car, performed um, CPR on him, and thankfully he survived. And they made a big story in the news item about the fact that they were on rival football teams. And, you know, it's like, that's going to stop you saving someone's life. <laughs> but this is what um, David Norman said. He said, she saved my life. It's as simple as that. So probably about the best friend I've got, you can't get a better friend, really. He'd never met her before. He didn't know her. But he knew that she had saved his life, and that made her his best friend. And even if we've never encountered the risen Jesus before, he is the one who died to save our life. He is offering us his friendship. And even if we feel alone, humanly speaking, we might discover that he is actually the best friend that we have ever had. Jesus is real and he walks alongside us in all that we face in life. 
And the biggest step in discerning how God is calling us is to know that we don't make our decisions alone. And actually, whatever decision we make, whether we make right decisions or wrong decisions, it's impossible for us to fall outside of God's love. Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from God's spirit? I can't go anywhere from him. He's always there. He's always with me. I think that takes the stress out of decision-making, really. A second principle. God communicates with us. God is always speaking to us, whether that's as individuals or as a larger group of people. He speaks at different times. He speaks in different ways. He might speak through dreams. He might speak through visions. He might speak through prophecies or messengers. He might speak through the Bible. He might speak through tradition of the church. He might speak through our experience. He might speak through our reason. He might speak through nature and things that happen. So discernment is effectively the spiritual practice that accesses and seeks to understand what God is already saying. So in the story of the road to Emmaus, Jesus was speaking directly to the disciples, wasn't he, when they were on their journey on the road. And he was also showing them how the scriptures contained God's revelation to them. And then in his gesture of breaking the bread and sharing it with him, that's his ultimate act of revelation. That's really when the disciples actually see him for who he is. And it's only afterwards that they realize, gosh, God was speaking to us all along. We didn't realize, but he was speaking to us. They knew it because their hearts were burning within them. So, so much of discernment is about training ourselves to notice, to be aware of the fact that God is already speaking to us. And sometimes we might, we can practice this when we're out and about, when we look at nature. Train yourself. How is God revealed in what I'm seeing, in this beautiful sunset, in this little flower, whatever it is? How is God revealed in this? When I met with um, Alex and Emily, uh, we talked about this great spiritual practice of, at the end of every day, looking back over the day with thankfulness and asking, what is God showing me about what's happened today? When was he present with me, even perhaps if I didn't realize it at the time? Can I perceive his voice? What gifts did he give me? What moments of grace were there today? And if we do that every day, we build up our awareness of how God is always speaking to us, always communicating himself to us. And finally, discernment may change your life. I love the fact that these disciples having suddenly realized that they saw Jesus and gone all these miles on foot to Emmaus, get up and run all the way back again. I, I love that. The fact that they have seen Jesus has given them this great sense of purpose and urgency and they've completely changed direction. And that can happen. 
when we truly discern God. And I think as we seek to live discerning and faithful lives, part of that is being willing to say, if I really can hear your desire, God, I'm going to follow it. I will seek to follow in your ways. Who knows what might happen? I'm going to end with a prayer um, from the book of Colossians, which is a really lovely prayer. And this is my prayer for Freya today, and it's my prayer for all of us. So let us pray. I ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Amen.